continuing the signs and we're going to kind of go to chapter 9 today but then go back to chapter 5 or something next week. So it's not perfectly in order but that's fine. Um, what I would like us to do then is, chapter 9 is quite long, I would like us to read it together and then we're going to just have a brief moment of silence um, and then we're going to read it again. Um, if you've done this similar thing before, it can be quite powerful, really. Um, so I'm going to pray, and then we'll we'll just jump in and start reading. Um, thank you so much, God, for our time together this morning. Um, yeah, thank you for just the powerful time of singing truth, and we um, look forward to more truth now. I was about to read your word. And we just pray you would speak to us through the different words, symbols, whatever is mentioned. We pray that you'll just show us something fresh this morning. In your name, amen. Okay, so let's read. John 9, from verse 1. And I'm going to read sort of 12 verses, and then we're going to stop. So if you don't have it, I'll have it on the board here. On the board? That's what I say on Wednesday mornings. There's no board. TV. Actually, there are TVs, so I shouldn't be saying board. Okay. As he went along, this is Jesus, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him, but he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash, so I went and washed, and then I could see. Where is this man, they asked him. I don't know he said. Okay, so I'd love us to just take a couple of minutes, do whatever you can to kind of concentrate, maybe close your eyes. Was there something, maybe a word, what was it? Something that kind of stuck out to you? And just maybe, you know, the Holy Spirit's inside all of us. Maybe ask the Spirit, you know, is there something particularly, particularly that you want to draw out here? As he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus. But this happened so that the works of God might be displayed in him. As long as it is day, we must do the works of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I am in the world, I am the light of the world. 
After saying this, he spit on the ground, made some mud with the saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means sent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. His neighbors and those who had formerly seen him begging asked, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? Some claimed that he was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. How then were your eyes open, they asked. He replied, the man they called Jesus made some mud and put it on my eyes. He told me to go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and then I could see. Where is this man? They asked him. I don't know, he said. Cool. So what I'd love to do then, just a couple of questions. If you want to just get into groups of three or four, what strikes you in this text? As we read it then twice, was it a word? Was it a phrase? What's sticking out to you? And then what do you feel the Spirit is saying in, in this passage to you? Yeah, no, it's it is. It's not the most like. There is a lot of questions, isn't there? Um, so, in it's important to know that in the first century, um, the Jewish thought, Jewish thinking, kind of developed in such a way as it saw like physical suffering, disability, disease, as a result of God's judgment due, you know, due to someone's sin, but. Um, Throughout the Gospels, and we see this throughout the Gospels, don't we? Like leprosy, you know, like diseases, all of that. And these people are labeled as sinners. Um, but the problem is, that's not in the Old Testament. It is a, it's just a development. Because if we look in the Old Testament, a man born blind or a leper, you know, whatever, they're, they're called ritually impure. But that's but, but to be ritually impure isn't the same as to be a sinner. They're two very different things. Like all of God's people were ritually impure. You know, they had to wash themselves before they ate food. You know, they had to, you know, do all these things. You know, read about the hundreds of laws in the Old Testament you had to do. But to be ritually impure wasn't a sin. It's two completely different things. But by the first century, by Jesus' time, the Pharisees and other Jewish leaders had basically associated like disabilities, diseases, suffering with sin. And so you were a sinner. And we see that throughout the Gospels. And obviously what Jesus does is brilliant here. Um, Charlotte did touch on this a little bit when I listened to her message. Um, you know, that sometimes, clear, clearly here, that the, the disciples think there's like a link between like disease, suffering, illness, and sin, but actually, it's a result of the of just being human. Um, sin and sickness, like, are linked, but they're not like a result of each other. They lead, both lead to death, but it, but they don't kind of like lead to one another. Um, actually, the reverse is true. If, you know, in the Bible, it's the righteous people that seem to suffer the most, <laughs> and the wicked seem to prosper. <laughs> so it's actually you get the reverse. You know, from like. Job to Jesus to John the Baptist, Paul. It's like righteous people who do God's will end up suffering. And the psalmists are like, oh, why are all the wicked people prospering? And they're never ill. <laughs> so it's, like, it's weird, isn't it? We get like a reverse. Um, and so you know, if Jesus got a headache or Jesus got heartburn, it wasn't because he sinned. It was because he took on human flesh <laughs> and he became a human. And so Jesus' response is so important for us 
And, you know, this man, basically, Jesus is saying, is a victim. He's a victim. Um, and society have actually made him uh, feel like it's his fault. You know, they've, they've put the blame on him, misfortune. Um, and Jesus says, amazingly, sin hasn't caused this. Um, and I think, you know, I was thinking this week that, you know, none of us have the ability to choose where we're born, like which family we're born into. Um, we don't, obviously, we don't have that ability. If we did, you know, maybe you wish you could choose. But, um, I, and I don't know if you have ever said to yourself, you know, I wish I was I'd born into a family with, like, loads of money or, um, you know, maybe you Maybe you don't have a sibling and you, you wish my parents or oh dancing. Maybe you wish you had a family with siblings. Um, I don't know. I mean, hi, Dan. <laughs> maybe you, uh, I don't know. Maybe you, you wish something different in your life. I don't know what it is, but it could be anything. You know, you can put the thing there. Um, Yeah, and I think, um, sadly, the disciples and people in history like look at someone's misfortune and maybe some of us think this was like inflicted by God. Um, but Jesus challenges this. He says it's really clear, like any misfortune, that you know, born blind or whatever, <laughs> he's saying here that God didn't cause this. And he's saying that sin doesn't cause it. Um, because for us here, you know, we're in God, therefore there's no condemnation. God's for us. And so he's not, you know, maybe when you, something goes wrong in your life, you default and think, oh, God's punishing me. I think we just need to just get out of that mindset. That God isn't punishing us. Uh, if something bad happens in your life, that's just not consistent. Um, you know, there's no condemnation. And we can talk about God's wrath. I mean, Romans says it's been stored up. There is a day of judgment. So... Um, you know, whether God works in the world now in terms of his wrath, and I don't know, but we know that it's being stored up. That's what Romans 1 says, for a day of judgment, um, for those not in Christ, of course. Um, but, um, yeah, so I think it's just getting out of that thinking. And I've, you know, and I've, I've had conversations with people, oh, man, what is God punishing me and all of that? And I think it's just, that's a lie. And I think the blind man probably did compare himself, obviously, to other people. Why am I born blind? You know, um, and Jesus's answer is, you, we've all touched on it, um, that his life, you know, what it might reveal God's glory. And I think some people think they read it and they say it's just Jesus's healing that reveals the glory of God here. But actually, you could read it as saying. Throughout this man's life, being a blind man, that revealed God's glory through his blindness. As he lived his everyday life, and he, you know, probably, who knows, he was probably a very, very good person. God's glory was revealed through that. So it's not just revealed when he's healed, but actually, um, it's like a whole life thing that we probably forget that actually, you know, someone's got an illness or whatever. God's glory is being revealed through that, not at the point that they're, that they're healed. Um, so yeah um, and I think you know we might look at this story and put ourselves in the blind man's shoes 
But I was thinking maybe we need to also kind of put ourselves in the shoes of people that judged him. Um, because I think, you know, how quickly do we pass judgment on someone without knowing their life story? Um, like, classic example, you're walking down the street, homeless person on the street. Um, you know, we could easily pass judgment and say they're lazy, you know, they've got themselves into this problem. Or we could say, you know, despite all that they've been through, you know, the, the abuse, the misfortune that these people have faced, they're still alive, you know, they're still here. And so, you know, that's that's just such a different way of looking at it. And, you know, you could find an example of anything really, you know, another classic example, people on benefits. You could say, well, they're, they're lazy, they're living off, like, the welfare state. Or, you know, you don't know their story. You don't know how the welfare state is you know, the government's probably failed them, probably created some of these issues. You just don't know, do you? Um, and so, you know, I think it's not just, yeah, it's not just putting ourselves in blind man's shoes, but it's just saying, how can we just start to look at people's whole lives um, and not judge them just as we see them? The mud and the spit is interesting, isn't it? Um, so in Mark 7 and 8, there's two spitting <laughs> stories as well. Um, Jesus likes to do this. Um, I don't know about you, but if I was the, the, the man born blind, I, I don't know, maybe. He, he's clearly never heard of Jesus, but maybe he heard that there was this man once and um, he couldn't walk. So Jesus said, just get up and walk. And he walked. <laughs> and this man's probably thinking, why did that not happen to me? Why did I get spit in my face? <laughs> Like, can't you just uh, say, you know, you can see now. Well, why spit in my face, Jesus? What's that all about? Um, I think that the problem in this story, maybe it's a cultural thing, but spit, like, shocks us. That's the thing that's, you know, when I read the story and I said, what's one thing that stands out for me? It's spit. <laughs> like, it shocks us, doesn't it? And I think, interestingly, when the man tells the story again, he misses out spit. He just says mud. He says, a man put mud in my eyes. And I think the focus then isn't on the spit. We have to focus on the mud. Um, because, I mean, this is one interpretation of it, that Jesus is kind of taking us back to creation, back to the beginning of creation. You know, humanity is fashioned from the ground. Um, and maybe there's other elements of, you know, God is like the potter, we're the clay. So... There's other kind of imagery going on here that, that, that Jesus is kind of saying that I'm, I made this man in his mother's womb, you know, that I'm the creator and I can restore. I can, as I'm doing this action, it's kind of saying something. Um, and I guess Jesus is probably also saying that I'm the hand that formed. There's only one hand, right? <laughs> There's only one father that causes. There's only one hand that formed us in the womb. There's only one hand, therefore, that can fix this situation, can bring restoration um, and make this man see. Um, the pool of water, I guess, I mean, it's interesting, you know, going into this water and then you will, you know, be able to see and wash it and stuff. Um, I don't think that, I mean, when I read the story, does the man actually see Jesus? Because when he, later on, 
the Pharisees like, who's this man? I don't know. It isn't like Jesus says, just go to your home after you've got out of the water. So I don't think this man actually sees Jesus. He doesn't actually see him. Um, and as the story kind of progresses, they don't recognize this man, you know, clearly because he was blind. Now I can see. I kind of picture that he's, I don't know, he's more confident. He's just different. Clearly, he's not begging. So people don't recognize him. They don't want to believe it. So there's a lot more verses, but I'm just going to kind of sum it up because we ain't got loads of time. But um, basically, in the next sort of 10 or so verses, the, the Pharisees spend a bit of time questioning the man. You know, how is it you can see? And they accuse him of making it all up, essentially. And, they, and then they go to his parents, go to his parents' house. And um, they question them. And then they return to the man again. And they, they spend some more time questioning him. And, and the Pharisees say, listen, you know, we know that Jesus is a sinner. Um, so just admit that all of this didn't happen. Um, and this man's response in verse 25 is, um, yeah, this. Whether Jesus is a sinner or not, I don't know. One thing I do know, I was blind, but now I see. Um, we sang about it, didn't we? <laughs> then they asked him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered, I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to become his disciples too? Then they hurled insults at him and said, you are the fellow's disciple. We are the disciples of Moses. We know that God spoke to Moses, but as far as this for this fellow, we don't even know where he comes from. The man answered, now that is remarkable. You don't know where he comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to the godly person who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. To this, they replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. You see that interpretation in the first century. And I think this is really powerful that this man has just been, he's just had his uh, vision fixed. He can now see. And he's still being labeled a sinner. And he's still being reminded of his past. And I think um, we will all face that at some point. You know, We have to hold on to this truth that Jesus has made us anew, afresh. We're washed in the pool. We're born again. Um, but still, you know, the enemy, the world will say, no, this is who you really are. Um, but this is what the man goes on to say. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the son of man? Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. So you have now seen him. For me, suggests that he actually sees Jesus for the first time here. Then the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment, I've come into this world so that the blind will see and those who see will become blind. Some Pharisees who were with him heard him say this and asked, what are we blind to? Jesus said, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim you can see your guilt remains. So it's a really interesting narrative, um, 41 verses. And there's a bit of a tinge of irony, isn't there? Because we start the story of a man that's blind, gets healed. And then we have basically the Pharisees for the massive proportion of this chapter 
spiritually blind, essentially. They can't see. They can't see the truth. They're looking everywhere. They go to the man. They go to his parents' house. They go back to the man. They talk to the neighbors. You know, they, they just can't see it. They're blind. They can't see the truth. It's right in front of them. You know, Jesus is there right in front of them, and they're unable to see it. They're blind. And watch Jesus say, you know, I've come so that those who see, you know, will be blind. Those who apparently get it all, the Pharisees, you know, those people who kind of get it all, they will become blind. And those who are blind and can't see, they will see. And it's just a beautiful story. And echoes kind of in Isaiah, it talks about um, those who are hearing but never understanding, those who are seeing but never perceiving. Kind of going back to that, um, those, those passages in Isaiah. And I guess one of the things I find fascinating about this chapter is we don't actually see lots of Jesus. I think I've calculated it like less than a third of the chapter. Jesus is actually present um, as a person. But amazingly, he's obviously everywhere <laughs> throughout this chapter. On every, every sentence is there, but he's not. Um, yeah, and I think... Um, Yeah, as, as the man's speaking there, I don't know about you, but I feel like Jesus is kind of like speaking through the man when he's talking to the Pharisees. And maybe the gospel writer's kind of like speaking on behalf of the blind man there, or the blind man speaking on behalf of Jesus and the gospel writers in just the truth and the amazing stuff that he's, he's coming out with. Um, what I'd love us to do, I don't know if it's, yes, again, kind of the same thing. I've read the text, and I just want us to have a little bit of a conversation again around whole of chapter nine really you know what's one thing that you're probably going to go away with you know what strikes you in this whole thing and yeah what do you feel that the holy spirit has been speaking to you about in this time